Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash onpay. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Wakas Asadik, the founder and CEO at Biotricity. Wakas, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing at Biotricity is very innovative and cool, but maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, sure. So I'd like to say I'm, I'm Canadian by training and, and, and birth. Um, so I say born and raised in Canada, but I grew up in Seattle. Uh, so that's kind of this hybrid Canadian-American mix. I'm sure you'll catch it in an accent every now and then. Sure. No, that's cool, man. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Yeah, so I... Uh, I, from a very early stage, I was I was very interested in building things. So I, I became an engineer um, uh, early on, and my family, uh, my father's background is in business. So I ended up doing a dual major in economics and engineering. Um, got to university a little bit early, so you know I, I started it after eighth grade. So that's oh wow, I guess a, a little bit claim to yeah. So you know I, I had a very interesting experience in university. Uh, I would say because of the of the early start, I never really had a high school experience. So my high school experience was my university experience. Um, and so today I don't have a high school diploma, um, but I had the university degree, <laughs> funny enough. Um, and so I did my undergrads in engineering and economics. I did my graduate work in um, business and uh, engineering as well. So I got a master's in, in business and engineering. Uh, and then I have a doctorate in business. Wow. Very, very impressive. That's that's really cool. So at what age did you actually get your PhD then? So PhD I got later in life. I mean, I was doing um I was doing a, a PhD in engineering. Okay. And I ended up just taking a masters and and leaving um there was this you know, this whole interest of uh at the time I was doing a lot of work in uh, sensor networks and I was doing some stuff for um uh, the defense department where the idea was to drop sensors out into environments. How do you collect information? So I built security and communication algorithms for it. Um, and, and so I basically did all the PhD work and I should have graduated, but my work was very interesting. So a lot of people wanted to keep me around to do a little bit more work. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a pause. So I took my master's when I was 18 wow. and went, uh, uh, went to work and then I didn't go back for my PhD until I was uh, 25. So it's a little bit later in life. Yeah, but most people probably don't start their PhD till at least then, if not later. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very so. cool. So walk us through 
your career up until coming up with the idea of biotricity? And then let's dive into that. Yeah, for sure. So it, it's interesting. It actually stems from my graduate. So when we were doing remote monitoring, I got very interested in this idea of sensor networks and, and how to collect data. Um, but I was doing it in a very, you know, highly secure, you can't change batteries, complex way, and how do you monitor and, and basically make um, complex decision and create decision matrices based on the data that you're collecting. So at that time, I got really interested in, you know, how can you apply that in more of a, you know, consumer or, um, uh, you know, other markets of so applications, obviously, in, in buildings and engineering and um, in supply chains and, of course, healthcare. So got into that, but but left that um, and joined uh, AMD. Um, so Advanced Micro Devices um, was there on the server side, um, and uh, sorry, actually I was at IBM first, and then I went to AMD. Uh, it's, it's, it's a long uh, long history. So I uh, went to IBM, did the server side uh, CPU stuff, then got poached to AMD. Was there at AMD, um, and then from AMD uh, I was uh, supposed to go to Intel, and I went there. For a short period of time, but then I ended up kind of shifting gears um, and went to investment banking um, and, and really on the consulting side to basically look and evaluate technologies and, and products um, for uh, investment and did that for a little while with private equity groups, uh, family offices. And when I was uh, looking at some of those companies, I got interested in the cloud computing space. And because I came from the server side, I ended up joining uh, company uh, on the cloud computing space uh, that ended up getting uh, acquired. It went through multiple acquisitions. Um, the company ultimately it got rolled into Neoware, that got rolled into Wife, that got rolled into Dell, um, left that. And then at that time, I kind of went back into my thought process of going back into the investment banking world, but then realized that, hey, I have some ideas of my own, and I really thought that remote monitoring in healthcare was really uh, the area to, to to pursue. And I had, you know, in my consulting and in my investment banking experience, I had looked at a lot of healthcare technologies, and I had seen some gaps. So that kind of precipitated this intersection from, you know, my background in, in sensor networks to what I was looking at, what was happening in healthcare. And at that time, if, if you recall, this was back in 2000. Um, and 10 and 12 time frame like Fitbit and and I don't know if you remember a company called Jawbone. Yeah. Um, all these companies got really really exciting and there's this whole concept around gamification of healthcare. And I was looking at all this stuff and I'm like, uh, you know, I understand the gamification angle, but I really think that the impact is going to be in connected devices and being able to make you know real time decisions. And so. I looked at that, saw that there was no um, no platform uh, in the marketplace, and that was the gap, and and that's kind of the birth of the of the company. So it's a bit of a weird story, you know, coming from cloud computing, coming from the server side, very technical, to investment banking, but then really that intersection that connected uh, my you know uh, uh, investment banking experience of evaluating technologies and and in, in, in many healthcare companies to what I had done in my grad work kind of precipitated this, uh, this vision. Interesting. No, I, I think that that's makes a lot of sense. And I think the fact that you come from that background at, to build a connected device that has kind of real time reporting 
is key. Is that correct to say? Yeah, that is that is exactly right. So one of the things that we find in the industry, what I have found in the industry, is still true today, is that many people, and in healthcare especially, we talk about monitoring because we think about, oh, you're in the hospital bed right. and you're on these devices and they're monitoring and the nurse can see it. But when you're when you're in an ambulatory, when you're at home and they give you a device, you're not monitored. You're recorded. The data is recorded, and so decision making is not done in real time because there's no cellular connectivity. You may have a pod at your house, but if you're not in your house and you're grocery shopping, there's no signal uh, because obviously you're not near the pod. And if you're wearing a device, many times uh, you have to mail these devices back. So two weeks later, you're getting a report, and you can have major major events that happen. Uh, during that during that time, so this was the gap that I really saw. I said, "Oh, there's there's this need, and and, and because I had come from that you know sensor network, very engineering, uh, networking uh, background, I was like, this is this is a place where decision making in real time is actually very critical, and 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 there's an opportunity there." Okay, very cool. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into how the actual device works. Like, I do I have to go see a doctor and then it gets recommended to you? Do you send it right to me? Is it a bit of both? Walk us through that. Yeah, so it is is very much a prescribed product. Okay. Um, today, that is that is the bulk of our of our of our business. Um, obviously, we have a broader vision uh, as a company. Um, but today, yes, you would go to a cardiologist that uses our product. They would look at you. They would look at your symptoms, um, look at your family history and say, hey, um, we think, uh, you know, you have a heart issue and we need to figure out what's going on. And they will use our product to diagnose. So, you know, a doctor is going to, you know, make a surgical procedure on you or give you a medication. Like it's a very, very high caliber um, uh, diagnostic tool where there is going to be an intervention that the doctor is going to do based on what our device provides them. Um, so you, you get this device, you, you hook it up. And so, uh, it's got a built-in cellular technology and everything. So it's a one piece device, kind of like the size of a, of a, of an Apple mouse. Um, and, uh, it, it connects to your chest. It's got three little leads and you basically go home, hangs around your neck and you do your thing. And, you know, 23 or 23 and a half hours a day, you wear it and you charge it for half an hour. Um, and, and the device is constantly evaluating your heart rhythm. And anytime it sees anything that goes out of range, it sends an alert. Um, and since it's got uh, a built-in cellular network, it's, there's no delay. It's, it's all real time, uh, you know, unless you're in a garage or in, in a bad reception area. But the moment you, you get back into a good reception area, it'll, it'll pump the data. And at that point, you, we have a third-party call center. They'll review the data, and they'll say, oh, there's an emergency going on. They'll contact the doctor. And so at that time, the doctor can you know, do whatever they need to do, bring you into the hospital or what have you. And if there's no uh, occurrence of an event, then you just bring the device back. And by that time, the doctor has a report, and then they'll make a clinical decision. And, and you know, maybe you're going to get a medication because it's, it's not as serious. Okay, interesting. So – Walk us through coming up with actually building the device because you probably iterated a bunch. You had some prototypes out there. Like, how did you go from just an idea to actually getting it into patients and users' hands? Yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, kind of a funny, funny story there too. So we we had no 
focus on the end product in the beginning, right? We're like, you, you know, very engineering, very technical um, kind of thought process and saying, hey, sure, there's this gap in the market. No medical devices are connected. We're going to create a pla- connectivity platform. So we built that whole platform, built the whole IoT, built the, 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 the cellular uh, technology, did, did all that stuff, and, and, and basically built And then we're like, okay, well, that's great, um, but we've got we've to apply this platform now in, into a, a commercial product. What, what product are we going to go after? And this is where you know, kind of the business angle of, of, of my experience came in. Uh, and and, and I, I reached out, and, and we built a very nice advisory board of healthcare and MDs around the cardiac space because when we evaluated, we said, well, the biggest market is cardiac. Um, it's the number one killer. Let's look at that market. And what we saw was um, there's a big need for, for monitoring um, and real-time monitoring because a lot of patients are actually uh, – they're asymptomatic. The monitors are not long enough. They go home, the, and, and, and then they have a, end up a stroke or they have a monitor, they're wearing it, and they end up having a stroke, and they're in the hospital, and the monitor is getting taken off there. So we said, okay, here's a great need. And then we saw that many medical devices – uh, medical device companies fail not because their tech wasn't good, not because they didn't get FDA, but because they didn't have a reimbursement model. So, you know, healthcare is is more convoluted and complicated than traditional technology. You can you can start up a, a traditional technology company, do really well. If you can find a customer, you can grow the business. Well, in in healthcare, you have to build the technology, then you got to get FDA clearance, then you got to uh, do your reimbursement. Because if you don't have reimbursement, you don't have a business model. So. We figured out the reimbursement angle first um, Interesting. And, and aligned our FDA clearance and all that. So we said, okay, we're going after cardiac. This is a need. Figured out the reimbursement, then built the product. So we applied our platform technology into that product, worked with a number of cardiologists, and brought in MDs into the company as well as onto our advisory board to, to really build out the right solution. Got the FDA clearance in uh, end of 2017, spent about nine months um, 10 months just really working out the, you know, you never really know until you launch a product, but also the insurance. There's a lot of angles in insurance. U.S. healthcare is, is, is quite complicated um, from a reimbursement standpoint. So we spent about nine, nine to 10 months doing that and then basically really commercialized the product uh, in the beginning of 2019. And we've been growing 300% since. Now we've wow. got our product in 19 different states, 400 Sorry, 500 different cardiologists across 200 centers. Wow, that's really awesome. Congrats on that success. Thank you. So I want to, how did you guys fund this? Did you self-fund? Did you raise some money, a bit of both? Walk us through that because every, I think most people at this point know building software is expensive, but building hardware and software is even more expensive. Yes, and building healthcare hardware and software is even more. Expensive. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> um, yeah, so part of it was, you know, it, originally the original concept and stuff like that was very much self-funded, okay. um, a little bit, and, and then obviously we did our traditional angel round friends and family, um, and then we went into the private equity space because my invest, investment banking experience was private equity. I right. went back into my private equity n- network, so we're kind of this. Um, you know, uh, I would say off of the traditional Sand Hill. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with the Silicon Valley Sand Hill venture. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
a group, but but that's a, there's a very specific way of funding and investing in companies that way. And then you have the East Coast model, which is very private equity based. Okay. We adopted the the New York model, private equity model, where you've got family offices and high net worth individuals that are funding the company. And we went through a, a series of, of of capital raises, and um, we are now planning on, on doing another growth capital round. Um, but that was kind of our journey as opposed to, you know, the traditional VC journey, which is, you know, you, your angel investing, and then you find a couple of VC firms that then fund multiple rounds. Uh, we did we did private equity capital, and we were very capital efficient. So we've taken in about $35 million to date in, in hard capital, um, and our, we have a product in the market generating revenue, growing at 300% a year. Um, in healthcare, you will spend – 70 to 100 million dollars before your product is even in the market. So we've been very capital efficient. Interesting. And and why like you you kind of mentioned it, but I think it's it's worth kind of diving a little bit deeper into that. Is it because you you figured out insurance and and that model first or what really made you that capital effective? Because you're talking about a lot of money you're saving. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's a combination of two things. One is really this idea of uh, analyzing and understanding that medical device companies fail because they don't have reimbursement. So figuring out the reimbursement angle first, that was certainly one thing. And I think the other thing which actually benefited us is if you look at our company, we've got some very talented people that are not from healthcare. Um, it, it's actually, I, I think, one of our advantages. All, all, all tech people, all highly scalable, put out multiple products into the market in many countries in the world, but they are not healthcare people. Then we've got healthcare advisors and healthcare specific people to really, you know, obviously manage it, our, our product and and build in the right requirements to make sure it's it's effective for for, for the market and, and has the right features and whatnot. But what what happened is that traditional tech people who want to scale companies, they want to go fast. So what happened is we have this methodology in the company where we want to do everything in parallel. So, for example, we went to the FDA, as even happened with our existing product, and they're like, your lab testing, so, so you have to go through lab testing for the FDA. And they're like, well, it's going to take eight months. And we're like, what do you mean eight months? And they're like, well, you have these series of labs, and you have to go through all of these labs, and they take, you know, one by one by one, they take eight months. And we're like, okay, we'll say, we looked at the lab test and we're like, well, we can parallel some of these lab tests. Like they're not required to be sequential. We can, we can do this in parallel. We went back to them and said, well, what would happen if we cut up the tests and we, you know, we gave you like 10 devices and you do all of these tests and you do some of the ones are parallel. And they're like, well, no one's really done that. Uh, why would you want to do that? And we're like, well, time to market. Uh, uh, that's why we want to do that. And so, uh, you know, they were very confused, but we worked with them and we ended up shrinking that time to four months. Wow. Because people in healthcare are traditionally saying, okay, you know, you have to do things sequentially. And we're like, no, 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 no. We've got to do things in, in parallel. Whatever is sequential is sequential. But if we can break things up and we don't have to be de- uh, dependent on it. So we were dealing with like three or four different labs at the same time with multiple devices to shrink our timeline. Whereas other people would be like, okay, let's just deal with one lab. We sit, we sit for eight, nine months. We're very well funded. You know, we bring more capital uh, if we need to. We approach things um, 
not only for, from a capital efficiency perspective, but just because we wanted to get to market. And so I think that idea of parallelism and understanding reimbursement beforehand is what allowed us to be so capital efficient. No, it makes makes a lot of sense. And it's it's nice to like still play by the rules because like obviously you have to in healthcare, but it's also nice to yes. figure out the right. ways that you could kind of shortcut uh, the timeline to get things done because just because something was done a certain way traditionally doesn't mean it's the best way, right? And I love when people like yourself kind of figure something else out and just say like, no, 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 well, we can cut this way in half, right? And you're right. And in a lot of cases, you need somebody outside this, that specific industry to come in and recognize something. And then when you guys finally figure that out, you're like, well, that's so simple. We should have thought of that at the beginning, right? But until you, you actually think about it, it's actually really challenging. Yes, no, exactly. And and you really have to kind of think about it. And like you said, you still have compliance, right? You have to comply and follow the process. But you can comply with the process, but you're innovating the process. And, and that is an innovation of in and of itself. But, you know, like you said, many times you have to come from outside of that world to have that out-of-the-box thinking. And what's happened now is a lot of the engineers um, that work with us that are from the healthcare and stuff like that, they really have adopted that mindset and, and, and adopted that culture in the company. And they actually really enjoy it because, you know, our urgency is very different. And, and in healthcare, generally, everything's like, okay, well, it's a process. We're engaged on it. it it'll get done. <laughs> Fair. Yes. Okay. No, that makes sense. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into your hardware and software solution and I want to talk about how it's how it competes with because everybody, well, you know, the the craze of like the Fitbit or the Apple Watch or the, the smartwatch claim to do some of this stuff. There is a big healthcare disclaimer saying that you know you you still can't really use that stuff as like a healthcare device. But how do you how are you similar and different from? an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or any of the other smart connected devices that, that people could be like, well, my watch does what you guys do. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, I, I'll kind of break this up into, in, into a couple of ways to try and, um, you know, simplify because there's, there's components of it, right? So it, right. let's take the Apple Watch or the Samsung Watch as an example, because they have an FDA clearance um, and they have ECG. Okay. Okay. So uh, one component is ECG and then one component is, is heart rate. So, their heart rate on the watches is continuous. You wear the, you wear the watch, it's continuously collecting the data, um, but it's not collecting an ECG. It's, it's uh, if you've ever seen one of those watches, you turn them over, you see these little LEDs. Yeah. They're basically injecting light and uh, into your skin and looking at how light bounces back to determine if your blood is oxygenated or not oxygenated. And that allows them to determine the, the, the pump, right? Okay. So that is gives you heart rate. So it's the same as putting your fingers on your on your on your pulse and counting. That cannot diagnose electrical activity in your heart. So an ECG is about the electrical activity of your heart. So the heart can have two issues, right? It can have a plumbing issue or it can have an electrical issue. So that uh, that that light is looking at plumbing. It's basically looking at heart rate. It's not even looking at plumbing. I, sh I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say it that way, but it's, it's basically looking at your pulse. Okay. And that's continuous, and it has no value in the diagnostic e electrical world. So 
that's the continuous piece that these devices have. It's very good for if you do have heart rate problems and your heart rate goes up and down. People have techies and Brady's all the time. It's, it's a nice little um, device to have for awareness for diagnosed patients. So you're already diagnosed and you have it. If you're not diagnosed, it's, it's great for awareness. And you're like, oh, my heart rate goes up a lot. Maybe I should go see a doctor. And then you can get a referral. Um, but you will then be put on a diagnostic device to look at, well, what's going on? Is it an electrical issue or is it a plumbing issue? And so that's where those devices I find is complementary because they bring awareness. So right. that's the whole light issue. Now let's, let's shift to the e- ECG because these devices do have ECG. And that's important. So ECG is looking at the electrical activity of your heart. And to collect your electrical activity of your heart, you actually have to go across your heart. So in order to collect an ECG on an Apple Watch, you actually have to, or a Samsung Watch or any of these watches, you have to complete the circuit, if you will. And what that means is you take the opposite hand from the hand that you're wearing the device and you touch that device. And while you hold it, you get a spot, spot ECG. And it's a one-channel ECG, meaning one, one view of, of your heart. And that's enough, and, and the quality is enough um, to actually get a diagnosis. The problem is, you know, 90% of patients are asymptomatic, and you need continuous ECG. So I'll give you an example. So patient, uh, our device, patient is complaining of something. They go to the doctor. The doctor prescribes our device. They wear it. Now, they're wearing this 23 and a half hours a day, every single day, and it's collecting three angles. So we have a three-channel device. And after four days, it'll catch something. Uh, Let's say it's an emergency, or let's say it just catches something. Um, And, you know, the the study ends, the patient goes back, and the doctor gives them a medication. But in order to do that on a watch, you'd have to hold that watch for four days or, you know, 23 hours, charge it. So so no one's going to hold the watch with both hands for that long period of time. So continuous monitoring for, of an EKG is what's required. And, and what these devices give is they give continuous monitoring of pulse rate and spot checks of ECGs. But spot checks of ECGs, it's, it's you know, one in a, maybe 10 million chance of catching something because you have to, if 90% of patients are asymptomatic, they have to basically happen to have collected an ECG at the same time as they were having a symptom, which they were unaware of. But I go back to these watches and these devices are great for people who are unsure if they have an issue or they do feel something, but they don't think it's a big deal. And then suddenly the device says, hey, maybe you should go in and, and, and check with your doctor. But when you look at the, the, the reports and the analysis, they're saying, you know, it's, it's uh, effectiveness is very, very low in terms of identifying patients but it certainly is an awareness builder um but in another way kind of a you know tongue-in-cheek comment you know doctors a cardiologist is not going to crack your chest open and install something based on what these what these devices say right they they will based on what our product says got you okay no that that makes sense and i'm it's good to clarify and to be honest i was kind of selfishly fascinated about how that all works right because and i guess i until like you just kind of explained it. I, I never really knew what that really meant, right? When Apple basically openly says, or all of them say that like, you know, like this is, if if you see an issue, you need to go see your doctor, right? And you're right. They're not going to just cut you open right. and put something in you if, you know, because any smartwatch told them to. They're going to 
investigate further. No, that makes sense. So I, I want to get back to somebody actually wearing the device. So you can use me as an example. So if I'm wearing this device for 23 and a half hours a day, and then I charge it for a half hour, walk me through, like, do I have to do anything special? Can it get wet? Uh, and then do I have access to the portal, my own data um, through an app or, or walk us through the day-to-day -day of actually having one of these devices? Yes, for sure. So the device is water resistant, but uh, the idea, what we say is like when you're showering or something like that, just charge the device. It's, it's gotcha. the best time to essentially charge it. Um, but you essentially live with the device uh, for, and, and, and again, remember, these are high-risk patients or somebody who's like very concerned about their heart condition, right? So right. you want you want the best um, um, device possible. And so we are the only device in the market that has three channels with three leads, which is basically three little wires. So you have three channels, so three views of the heart. Typically, um, to get three channels, you need five wires. So we've, we've, we've uh, engineered that in, in software and hardware. So pa patient gets a device. They, they live with this device. They're wearing it. They don't actually have to do anything. They don't get access to their data unless they request it from their doctor because we don't okay. want to scare patients. Sure. Um, but what it does is it's actively monitoring you. So while it's uh, uh, collecting your ECG because it's recording the entire time you're wearing it, and so we know everything that happens. We know when you charge it. We know if you turn the device off. We know if you dis disconnect it. We know how long you've disconnected it for. So it, it, it's smart. It's a very much a smart, intelligent device, and it's got built-in uh, uh, cellular technology. So it takes its own SIM card um, and has its own FCC ID. Uh, so we have our own FCC ID, like a like a regular cell phone manufacturer for for a small company. Um, oh, interesting. So that device is worn, and then when it detects an emergency or an issue, it, like I mentioned earlier, it alerts a call center where you have certified technicians to review this data because they will determine, hey, could it have been a false positive? Could it have been some other reason? Or is it really an emergency? Because we will make alerts that maybe the settings on the device were incorrectly programmed um, or we, you know, it was a spike, but then it went back to normal. So it's... It was an event, but it wasn't like life-threatening, so it'll just get included into the report. There's no no point in bothering the doctor about it, um, and so that's what's happening, right? So the device is constantly and actively, actively monitoring you, and anytime it sees an issue, it, it alerts, and then and then you end up getting a final summary that the doctor will then you go back in, return the device, and he'll he'll uh, uh, speak speak with the patient and 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 give them the <clears throat> the uh, conclusion of the report, and what happens is. You know, we will find patients that 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, they're effectively sleeping, but their heart stops for like five, six seconds. Ah. We get them into the hospital, and they get a pacemaker installed. If they weren't on our device, they would not wake up. Gotcha. So, you know, these are uh, very, very real-life scenarios. We had another patient come uh, – this happened like I just – I think it was like a couple days ago, completely asymptomatic, went to a cardiologist's office. Um and uh, the doctor put him on the device. He walks out of the the office and I think got into his car and was just driving out. And a phone call went to the doctor saying this patient is in AFib. If that patient, within an hour, they would have had a stroke. Wow. The doc Because they were asymptomatic. Like the doctor thought they, that the patient had AFib, but he's using a device to diagnose it. So he hooked up the patient. The patient was already in AFib, but the patient wasn't feeling it. Um, 
and the device caught it almost instantaneously, and then he was he was admitted to the hospital within you know 20 minutes of, of getting hooked up to the device. So wow. you know those are like interesting scenarios, and then of course we have like you know the regular scenario where you have um, uh, the device is worn, you get the event, there's nothing really life threatening, you get a summary, the doctor either does a surgical procedure or puts them on a medication, um, and you know they're still high risk patients, um, but you know. Uh, it, it would be we, we catch these things early, so it's you know six months, nine months before you know some life-threatening event happens. Uh, they they got the device early enough. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool, and it makes makes a ton of sense, right? Like the fact that you can get real data about somebody, and it's not delayed by days or weeks or months, and especially with um, the pandemic right now, I think a lot of people especially people with a serious health condition. Some probably want to go to the doctor, but it, other people it's probably very, they don't want to go at all, but they know they might have to go. But if they have a device like yours that's constantly monitoring them, and if they need to go to the doctor, then you can tell them, okay, we need to come, you need to come in, right? For whatever to get looked at. Exactly. And the traditional technology in the space you know, is, is the Holter monitor, right? And the Holter monitor, and, and now, you know, companies have created a patch monitor, a patch monitor. But again, I'd say the term is incorrect because it's a recorder. You know, you put somebody on a, a, a Holter patch, right? And it records the data for like 10 days or 14 days. You peel it off, you stick it in an envelope, and you mail it back. Okay. And so a week later, you get a report. So like if you take that patient with 20 minutes, the patient would have had a stroke, Maybe they would have survived. Maybe they wouldn't have survived, um, but they, they they would have had a you know a, a debilitating um, uh, problem, and you know that that would affect them for 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 years. So you know because the device is not got no has no communication, has no connectivity, and then I would kind of you know extend and, and to you know one of the questions that you asked earlier, which was you know do patients get access to this data, and you know obviously in the diagnostic space. You know, we say no because FDA says you can scare patients, and there's a lot of studies saying that patients can become more symptomatic if they're aware of, you know, and then you can scare them unnecessarily. Um, but we see a need for that particular component, and that's where, you know, our vision as a company is to take our technology and really build it into a consumer-oriented product. It just has a diabetic has a glucometer that allows them to manage their, their life and, and their diabetes, um, we are very much focused on building a product for cardiac patients because they have nothing, and, and, and that's the number one killer, where they have a product that's available to them um, where they do get data, and, and it does tell them, and it does give them feedback um, like, a, a, like a traditional glucometer device would, um, and lets them manage their life, um, but more on the consumer lifestyle space as opposed to the clinical diagnostic space. Got you. Okay. So when roughly are you going to potentially have that device ready for consumers or you don't know yet? So we have prototypes already. Okay. Um, we actually, I should say we have more than prototypes. We, I, I use the product. So okay. um, we, not that I have a heart condition. I just, yeah. I'm, I'm an engineer at, at the end of the day and I like my toys. So, sure. um, uh, but the plan is to, to really uh, launch that product uh, in, in summertime next year. So that's, okay. that's our, that's our plan. Um, product is built. We're obviously getting generating feedback. We're collecting some data. 
um, and 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 getting the you know the right sort of packaging and and, and all that uh, all of that together. But the, but the product is completed um, from a hardware and a software perspective. Now it's about the experience for the user and how do we build a, a an environment that is very helpful and and meaningful for someone to to to, to you know live their life. Got you. No, that makes sense. So I'm curious then if you're using it and I know like there's a lot of people and I put myself in this category. I love my tech gadgets for a number of things. Like, is it useful for somebody like myself? I'm 37 just for some context and healthy. Like as far as I, it was my last checkup, right? Um, like would I, would I get any benefit from using it or is it just more of like a, a nice to know and start collecting this data or, or how does that play into all this? No, it's, it's a great, great question. I mean, primarily the product is really meant for people that are diagnosed with cardiac okay. conditions okay. To, to manage their, their, their life. That's what it's meant for. But there are a lot of people, you know, there, there's a whole quantified self movement, people who are very, or, or you know, in, in, into sports, right? They want to sure. look at, you know, how do I optimize my workout, right? So in this case, it's the perfect kind of product, right? So it's like, hey, they, you know, they have that whole um, uh, uh, focus on um, uh, uh, interval training. Sorry, I was thinking of the word interval training, where you know you get your heart rate heart rate high, and then you bring your heart rate low, and you bring your heart rate high, and you bring it low. And so this would be a great, you know, product where you are your accuracy is so high. Um, because we're really focused on accuracy and, and you know, we're a medical device company. Uh, it's a consumer product that we're building. So it's, it's not going to be, um, go through, go through the FDA cycle, like, like the other product, but at the end of the day, are we focused on accuracy? So that type of information allows you to really, if you're into maximizing your workouts, or if you're an elite athlete and you're really focused on performance, you know, it's certainly a product that could help. Interesting. So how like this is maybe a dumb question but the consumer version of this product that you just mentioned do i have to get like cut open to hook it up or how does that work uh, no 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 yeah okay it's that's a, what i figured but i wanted some clarifying dry lead. no 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 it's no, a good point it's 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 a non-invasive dry lead a little device almost uh, a little bit bigger than a silver dollar in terms okay. of size i'd say but it's an inch and a half wide uh, about you know quarter of an inch thick um, it's got a strap that you wear in a very specific space, like right un underneath the sternum. Okay. It's got a dry lead polymer electrode, um, and you basically wear it, and it'll collect your your data. Um, think of Iron Man, okay? We'll okay. make everybody Iron Man. <laughs> That's <laughs> cool. It's, it's a little device that kind of sits right there, and 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 you wear it, and you go about your business, and and it collects the information, um, and and you wear it as you as you want or as you need it. Got you. Okay. I just wanted to clarify that, right? Because, yeah, I think that, that yeah, makes definitely sense. Definitely not. No, no cutting open for a consumer product. Yeah, that's, <laughs> fair enough. But some people might do <laughs> no, that too. Good. But yes, that's fair enough. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's very cool. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about uh, all the stuff we talked about today? and uh, where they can maybe get more information about when the consumer device and everything else is, that's going to be available? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you can visit our website, biotrish.com. We have all of our product and information there. Um, we're going to be doing 
a limited, you know, kind of market interest release type uh, information on the on the consumer product. It's going to be called BioHeart. That'll be available on our website um, once we once we announce it. So, you know, if you uh, go onto our website and uh, input your information, so you become part of our newsletter. We are, we're always um, engaging with with uh, potential clients and people, and uh, we'll, we also have our Instagram and Facebook and all that uh, as well. So many many points of contact to the company and that's where we will be announcing so as soon as that's available you'll be able to see it on the website and right now on the website you'll see our existing products and and our vision for the for the company and and where we plan to go very cool well i really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and i look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day well thank you for your time and and uh loved uh chatting about the stuff obviously it's a passion of mine so uh I hope I was able to answer your questions and and happy to uh, come back anytime uh, you need us. Perfect. Thanks very much. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.